So I want to kind of share a few words on on the Dhamma also. And, uh, you know, when we are training the mind and fine-tuning the mind so it's more capable, you know, to really stay with experience, to pay attention, then, you know, we can really see that reality is already showing us the way. It's, it's up to us, you know, to really pay attention and to pull the mind off, you know, distractions and all kinds of obsessions and, you know, things we have been uh, doing in the past, which were kind of more or less innocent, but which, you know, now these days, it looks like the planet simply can't support nine billion people, you know, doing all kinds of things which are not really necessary to do or somehow, you know, really a waste of of time and a waste of resources. We have to really uh, take an interest in that and not hope, you know, that somebody else is going to fix it for us or is going to sort it out for us because I think uh, it's, we all need to take part in that. Because it's it's a, you know it's evolution of our species really, which has been uh, you know many people say we are like like uh, adolescent species, quite uh, immature still, you know, because we are not around for very long compared with turtles and alligators and other species. We are really really very young and. We didn't have so much uh, time to make mistakes yet, so. But now we really need to pay attention because it's getting pretty uh, hot, you know, as we all know. Climate change is one of the elements of the crisis, but there's also many other elements, you know, unresolved issues from the past, which keeps, keeps us disconnected from ourselves and because we are disconnected from ourselves we are disconnected from the planet because we and the planet we are one and so there's a lot of work you know for us to do and we do have a lot of uh, resources also to do that work for example you know there's many spiritual teachings and the buddhist teaching is just one of them and it's very Pragmatic, very practical. In particular, you know, the meditation instructions are very, very um, good. I think they really work very well and are pretty easy, you know, to to communicate. So that's a very wonderful tool we have, and also, you know, the capacity to do that together in community. I think it's makes it also much easier. You might have noticed, you know, in the meditation how much easier it is to meditate together in a group or in a, in a holding space like this, you know, which is so well organized and we don't need to worry about a lot of things and how easy it is for the mind to, you know, to settle down. I think that has a lot to do also because we are together in that space and also in the Zoom space. It's it's different, you know, to do it as a group. And uh, 
because you're the biggest obstacle in in the in the practice and also in you know looking at the current situation is self-doubt you know thinking we can't do it we can't do it we can't do it because but it's just a story who says you know uh, you know evolution on this planet is going on since four billion years and there was no kind of big daddy kind of directing all of this and it still all happened because otherwise we wouldn't be here now you know, in these bodies and minds of ours, they uh, have developed over billions of years. So there's a lot of intelligence, a lot of resilience, a lot of strength, and also like a certain amount of trauma, you know, which has been passed down to us from generation to generation over the deep time. And I think that's a very skillful way, you know, to, to reconnect with something we don't think about every day because we are kind of so distracted with lots of little details and, uh, and if we are not distracted with details, we often then, you know, go to our phones or to go to our computers and, you know, just look at something because that's what we do. And, and while we are doing this, you know, opportunities to to really go into the depths and be instructed by reality they pass us by and uh, yeah so I think you know coming to such a retreat is, is really helpful you know to to remember what is really important and to You know, make 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 um, a new take a new resolution. Make a, be really clear about what really matters in life and what what is really important and what isn't. And you know, and also remembering, you know, if these bodies are part of nature and if these bodies are part of the planet, which they surely are. You can see that when you are eating. Or, uh, when you're drinking, you know, you're, you're taking in water, which is the same water in the rivers and in the rain and in the ocean. And the water inside of our bodies, 75% water, it's all water, just simply water. Water empty of a self. And, you know, all of the particles which make up the body as earth element just earth element, the same earth element as the element out there on the hills and the, the mountains around here. It's simply earth element, empty of a self. And is it constantly exchanged? And that's such a profound truth, you know. It's such a simple truth that it, we need to really kind of pay attention to it so that it sinks in and changes us. The way, you know, how we relate to, to our lives, really. And, you know, allow nature to guide us back into communion. Because these bodies are just part of nature. But we haven't really, for a long time, you know, turned towards those 
capacities which our body does have. You know, they have been not really um, come online yet. You know, because we have been too distracted. But if if we are choosing, you know, to come back to that by training ourselves, then we can actually connect, you know, with with a way of knowing that we are part of this planet, which are already, you know, they are they are basically there. We just need to train, and we need to through taking an interest, through a clear intention. Intention is very powerful and important, you know, for these kind of practices. And, and, and uh, you know, kind of a, a, um, consistency is very important too because it's a very subtle process, but through consistency and repetition and really staying with it, it it becomes can become very powerful and you know and if the mind kind of because of its conditioning tries to escape and wants to do something more interesting then in a in a gentle way okay that's just how it is but and and bring it back and that's like it's not an easy process but it's it's also not so difficult, you know. It's just a bit boring at times. But as we keep on going, we will be able to see that it does make a difference. And to do it in community is much easier also. And... uh, just really realizing that as a, as a species, as a civilization, it looks like we have lost our way, but we can find the way again. Because we do have these wonderful instruments, our bodies and our minds, and they are here for such a long, long time, and we can... you know, work with them and bring out more and more of the capacities which are lying, still lying dormant. And, you know, since there is life on this planet, these evolutionary thresholds, they have been met many, many times before. It's not for the first time. So we can also rest assured, you know, that it is just okay, we have come to such a point again and we can choose to participate in it. And uh, I think that's the true activism these days, you know, to really be willing to participate in that and the discomfort and the uncertainty and the grief and all of the difficult emotions it brings up. It's just another, you know, another version of impermanence. Impermanence of a way of living. Impermanence of a way of building a civilization. And it wouldn't be the first civilization, you know, which goes through huge changes. That has happened before. Even our history books, we can, you know, read about that. So it's, you know, something 
deeper calling us, you know, to pay attention and to allow those capacities to come to life and guide us in the way, you know, how we conduct living on this planet these days. And see, you know, there's a very different strand of intelligence which we need to now train. You know, for the last few centuries we were very much training the intellect and, uh, you know, the sciences, the technology, all of those very important strands of intelligence. And now that seems to kind of come to an end because there needs to be other kinds of intelligences to come and take over or add something to it so that it be sustainable. And, and one important strand of intelligence is that capacity to sense that we are actually nature and we are not separate from the planet. That strand of intelligence is not yet online enough. You know, there is some indigenous people who have never lost that kind of intelligence. And we can definitely learn from them, but we can't all go back, you know, live in the forest. That's not going to work out. But we can respect that strand of intelligence and support it and, and come down, you know, from our ivory towers and uh, for our skyscrapers and so on and come down on the ground and get a bit dirty or so. I think that would help. So, you know, the, the impermanence of a culture, the impermanence of a civilization, to consider that, it's kind of a bit mind-blowing. But that's what needs to happen, you know. It looks like our minds need to be blown open. And, uh, you know, it's a dying of a world view, so to say, you know. That, that view of uh, we are separate from the planet and we need to gain mastery over nature, completely forgetting that we are part of it. And, you know, in that story that we are, master, you know, we need to gain mastery through technology and science, that story is coming to an end because it doesn't seem to work out and we can't really find, you know, sustainable solutions from inside of that old worldview because that worldview has created the problem in the first place. So to really, you know, take in the impermanence of a worldview, it's amazing that one can consciously, you know, um, witness something powerful as the mind can be, you know, to be able to witness that and then see, you know, what emerges from that insight. If we are really changed, what emerges, what do we feel, uh, you know, what do we sense is the next steps to take. And, uh, you know, seeing this, the central importance of, of impermanence on the path, you know, not only on the path to liberation, but also like, 
you know, living as a human being because those two paths, they have to go together. They have to be uh, intertwined in order for the practice to, to really work. You know, first we, we realize something and then we actualize it by living from that place. And this is how we are, you know, kind of progressing on the path. We can't really, uh, you know, let me get quickly enlightened so that I don't need to pay attention to what's happening on the planet. That doesn't really work. It needs to come together both, both sides, you know, of the same coin, which is our life, the, the path to liberate and train the mind and then the way how we live that that needs to go together, otherwise it's not a real practice, otherwise it's not an, a real insight. And uh, so that the, the insight into impermanence is, is considered, you know, just the avenue into the realization of also of emptiness or anatta, not self. Because that which is impermanent, you know, that which can cease and completely disappear cannot have a self because otherwise it wouldn't completely be able to disappear. And, and uh, you know, any phenomena which is impermanent is because of that it's not fit you know to be taken as a self or we cannot own it we cannot nail it down we cannot possess it because it is simply not a separate entity in the same way as we are not separate from the planet all things which we can own or possess are just of the same nature as we ourselves are And uh, so there's a certain, you know, progress of, of insight, how we can use, you know, the contemplation of impermanence in order to change our minds, literally. And that is, you know, by paying attention to the arising and ceasing, as we have done in the meditation before, you know, for example, paying attention to the arising and ceasing of the breath, or thoughts coming and going, feelings coming and going, sounds, smells, sights. We can see impermanence, you know, in myriad, myriad ways. And then through paying attention to impermanence, a certain amount of, you know, passion of wanting to own something starts to fade away because we simply can't find any separate phenomena which we can possess. And that washes away the craving. So that would be the second uh, step. You know, so witnessing impermanence, and then through that witnessing of impermanence, craving gets uh, washed away. Like a stain in a, in a piece of cloth. In the beginning it's maybe very dark, and then if we wash it, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, it gets lighter and lighter. So through witnessing impermanence, craving is washed away. And then a mind, you know, which has 
less craving, is more, more capable of witnessing the endings of phenomena. So a mind, you know, which is not totally wrapped up in craving, can see that things are ending. Because a mind which is very wrapped up in craving always, you know, wants to go to new beginnings. It can't really stay with endings. Before something ends, it's on to the next thing, and to the next thing, and to the next thing. But, you know, paying attention to endings is very important because it's part of life. Everything, anything which arises, anything which is born, also ends, ceases. But the mind needs to really um, witness that many, many times so it, it really takes that in. And then, you know, if the mind has really deeply seen that, that everything which has a beginning has an end, then the letting go is a natural result. It's not something we have to do or, you know, make the mind do it, make it let go. It's No, it's a natural result. The mind just lets go because of the, of the, of the clear seeing. So this is this classic sequence. Impermanence, Dispassion, cessation, and letting go. And there is an example, uh, uh, one of the books of Venerbanaleo, in the book, his book about Anapanasati, he illustrates that uh, with, the, with the image of a river. So, for example, we are standing on the banks, you know, of a river and looking at the river as it's flowing by. This is like witnessing impermanence. And then there's a little bridge there, and then we go on the bridge and stand on the bridge and look, you know, as the water is flowing away from us, as we are standing on the bridge and it flows down that way. So that is the contemplation of this passion, the fading away of the river into the distance. And then we turn around and look, you know, from where the river is coming from and look down from the bridge and see how that river is disappearing under the bridge. This is this cessation. And then jumping into the river is letting go just becoming part of it. So and those, all of those four, they are interrelated. Through seeing that in sequence, you know, the mind responds with letting go because it deeply understands. It doesn't make any sense to try to hold on to something which is constantly in flux. And if we do hold on to it, if we try to nail it down, it, it friction arises. So if you try to, you know, to dam the river, then there's a lot of pressure arising. And at one point, it just kind of takes the whole thing down and breaks it all down. And I think, you know, that's what what's happening also with our civilization now, with our cultures, that. 
you know, reality is basically the pressure of reality is increasing more and more and at one point it's just going to crack. But we can, you know, we can uh, do something about this. It, that it doesn't need to be so uh, chaotic and painful. There is things we can do. We are not powerless. And, and the first thing is to pay attention. That's already part of the healing process is to pay attention and to take an interest, really. And, you know, to cultivate the intention to be part of that. Because that sets a lot of um, forces into motion, which we, we don't have a name for that, but this process has its own intelligence and we can choose to align ourselves with it by, you know, training our minds so that they are capable to do this job, which means to get out, get out of the way, you know, to get out of the way in terms of old assumptions and stories about separation and mastery over nature and all of this stuff. And, you know, bring some humility to bear and... Uh, bow down and all of those things, those good things, you know, the simple things of life. And we can really look to the indigenous people on the planet who haven't really lost that humility yet, or at least some of them. And we, can, we can't become like them because, you know, our indigenous roots are more in the distant past, but we can rekindle that understanding and that wisdom because we have the same roots. We, we belong to the same planet. We are not different from them. Even we are a little bit more disconnected. So, you know, we, we know what to do. It's just, not, it's just not easy to do. But we don't have another choice anyway. So then we just need to try to do it. And the first and most important thing is, you know, to train the mind so it has the capacity to um, take in the information. The information which really counts. And... Uh, And then, you know, live from that place as much as possible and do it in, in community because to do it alone, is, it's much too hard. And, and be together with people who are on the same page with those things. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of information out there. There is, I think, two million, you know, uh, NGOs in the whole world who are working all in, on those issues, you know, so there's lots of people who who already doing this work and, and we can align ourselves with with this with one group or another. There's a lot of uh, good trainings out there and uh, you know and having a spiritual practice, having a mind training is, is crucial in order to be able to 
um, deal with all of the uncertainty and uh, you know the difficult emotions which are going to be kicked up if we start opening the Pandora's box. But if we are not opening it, it's going to explode into our faces anyway. So better, you know, to kind of slowly but surely opening it. And not doing it alone, you know, because alone is much more difficult. So I'm all for opening the box. And I don't either know, you know, exactly how to do it, but... I, I have no more doubt that it's better to do it than not to. And there will be mistakes made, you know, but that's okay. And, you know, this is like another application of uh, of the insight of impermanence. And when, you know, when the Buddha was walking the planet in Iron Age India, there was no thinking about that the planet might be one day too small, you know, for all of us, that it can really uh, provide the resources of the lifestyles we have developed. But now it has come to that point. And and we need to, you know, use the teaching and, and integrate it with the situation which we are having right now. And we are not living in Iron Age India. It's all very different now. But one thing has not changed for sure is you know that the the practice needs to be integrated with our lives. When the Buddha, you know, was sitting under the Bodhi tree in the night of his enlightenment, you know, he's on record that he has touched the earth and has called the earth to be his witness, you know, that he has done his work and that he was ready for, you know, for his full realization. And, uh, you know, we still have a lot of work to do, I think, when it comes to all of the unresolved business, you know, which we have with the land, you know, lots of the land here in America which has been appropriated, you know, by colonizers in ways which have not been cleared until today, for example. And many other issues, you know, that's all connected with our instruments, you know, not being sensitive enough to really understand how much we are part of this planet. That's all part of the practice. We can't really turn away from it. But we do have, you know, very good uh, instructions which can, you know, bring all of those intelligences online if we are willing, you know, to consistently work on it. Yeah. And it's that's great good fortune, you know, to have a teaching like this and to be able to um, come to a place like this and have all of the access, you know, to so much information which can help us to respond. 
And I also brought the book here, and I just like to read a little quote from one of the suttas about how important it is to um, contemplate impermanence. And that's a sutta, and that's, that's the uh, Anguttara Nikaya. It's the book of the nines. And it's a sutta about where the Buddha is explaining to someone, you know, about um, how he can make uh, merit. And speaks about different offerings and so on and so forth. And then the whole lists of things which can be offered and to whom it can be offered. And then at one point, and then he says, and then he says one thing and then he says, but the next thing it's even more and even more. And now I'm just reading the last little paragraph. And for one with a mind of confidence to go for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, you know, that's even better than giving all of those things he mentioned before. And then for one with a mind of confidence to undertake the five training rules, which you have been, some of you have been taking the five training rules, the five precepts earlier today. And then, and for one to develop a mind of loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's other, would would it be to develop the perception of impermanence just for the time of a finger snap? So that seems is the highest, you know, way of uh, doing something good for your own mind. It's even, you know, it's even uh, more effective than um, developing a mind of loving kindness. So I thought that was interesting to know. For one to develop a mind of loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's other, would it be to develop the perception of impermanence just for the time of a finger snap? So it means very short. So to you know to contemplate impermanence is is very, very central to the teaching and is really like a, a Dhamma gate which changes us as we are, you know, on a consistent basis reflecting on this. Because the mind, you know, responds if it sees that clearly. It just simply, you know, through a direct understanding knows that holding on to that which is impermanent is productive of stress and productive of what's called dukkha in the teachings. And because of that it just lets go. And it needs a consistent application for that to really um, change us. And, and there's also another very beautiful word in the Pali language is called nibida, which is often, you know, translated as disenchantment, like waking up from a dream, you know. 
And if the word Nibida is, is directly translated, it means uh, not finding. So the mind is disenchanted because it doesn't find what it, it's, what it thinks it wants. Which means, you know, it doesn't find separate phenomena, separate entities it can possess and control. And what it does find is, no, it's a, it's a flow, it's a constant changing process and a deep, deep entanglement. And there is no separate entities which can be controlled or possessed. And then if that, you know, is, is consciously seen many, many times, it, it will make a difference. The mind is changed by that insight, as you know, I've read earlier today, which we have that in the in the blurb also, which I probably didn't take downstairs. But you know, through seeing that change, we ourselves are changed, and we ourselves are more and more letting go into that change and being part of it. And through, you know, the mind being more and more malleable and capable to be that way, there is different access to information also coming through. Because the mind is not so um, brittle and uh, rigid and small. But it has, you know, what we might call intuition or a different way of knowing, which isn't uh, controlled by the intellect and by linear thinking. And that's, that's a, a, you know, a result of practice. And, you know, the template for Buddhist meditation, the, the four foundations of mindfulness, you might have heard about them, Satipatthana, the first foundation of mindfulness, or establishment of mindfulness is uh, body, the second one, feeling tones, the third one, mind states, and the fourth one is uh, conditionality. So those four different uh, Establishments of mindfulness, they all um, have you know, included in them the contemplation of the arising and, and ceasing and both of those phenomena. And in the first establishment of mindfulness, it's the, the body. We are looking at the, the body parts, the elements and contemplation of death. And the second one is the feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feeling. And then the third one, mind states. And the fourth one, the principles of experience or conditionality, seeing, you know, that all of those phenomena condition each other. So impermanence plays a very important role in the whole teaching. And through that, that contemplation, the, the passion or clinging 
grasping is slowly but surely washed away. And uh, that has very deep implications. Because it looks like, okay, I, I know anyway everything is impermanent, of course. But we know it only on a very superficial level. It needs to go very deep in order to be that liberating. So I think, you know, that's uh, what I wanted to share today with you. And uh, now we have again time for movement meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.